Your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. presentation with mike and ethan or elf will not be seen tonight so an interesting thing happened at the beginning of the 80s well two interesting things because mike and i were born but also uh there was a brief fad for broadway musicals based on comics there was the Popeye musical that made it to th theaters. There was the Doonesbury musical, which did not. And there was almost a Captain America musical, and that never happened. But today we're going to look at the one that everyone knows. It's Annie. Yeah, so I, um, this is Annie 1982, I believe. And Yes, as opposed to Annie 1999 and Annie 2014. Yeah. Um, and I remember this from when I was a kid. I was under the impression that it was a huge deal. I, I remember seeing this all through the 80s. It, it just never went away. And it's actually kind of funny because um, looking at it now, went to rewatch it, I realized, because I, I thought, oh, this was a huge thing. This was everywhere. I remember when it was in theaters. It was so huge. And then I realized, no, I didn't. It was way before I had any awareness of theaters. I just assumed that it had happened in the late eighties because it was still hanging around at that point. Huh? I well, think what, Oh, sorry. I think nope, 19, 19, 1982. So people were like, Hmm, should I see Annie or should I see the thing? Oh, uh, well, apparently, well, what did they see? Because this movie <laughs> was, was, was not really a big hit. Apparently. No, the the thing about the Annie musical is that it's the Broadway version that was the big smashing success. This, not so much. It was accessible, but to say that people really love the Annie movie is like people saying, wow, people really love Big Macs. <laughs> it's, they're there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah uh, I looked up. It cost $50 million to make this movie, and it made $57 million. So <laughs> it broke even which yeah. i guess is good um, it broke even and made a little over seven million and but i think you know today today's producers would just be like seven million yeah <laughs> i wouldn't bend down to pick that up off the sidewalk i feel like this movie did have a very long life in home video because um i i, I think part of the reason that i i have such um a standout vivid memories of this movie is that it's one of those films that if you were like at school and you know it was kind of raining out instead of going to research, re sorry, recess, mm. the teacher would be like, "Here's a treat for you. We're gonna watch a movie," and it would usually yep. be either Annie or like Willy Wonka. <laughs> I was gonna say. Now, have I told you about the children's unit before? N the children's eunuch. Unit. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay, that's a movie unit. to be made. Yes. Okay. The is children's this some unit. Sort of 
cryptocurrency? <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> no. Okay. At the time that I was born, up until about 10, my mother was a psychiatric technician. And she spent a lot of time on psych psychiatric wards, often, sometimes with adults, but often on a unit for psychologically disturbed children. And many of these children had been, you know, in abusive homes or had been or had had to flee their homes and so forth. So they had what my mom called TV therapy. An awful lot of the day spent on the, in the psychological unit was just watching TV because that was a normal thing that normal kids did and let them and let them have some semblance of a normal life. And there were a lot of movies that got watched over and over again on the VCR as part of this. And these were movies like Labyrinth and Pee-wee's Big Adventure and uh, Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory and Annie. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, that's very... I mean, I've never worked in a, in a children's unit, so I know nothing <laughs> about child psychology, so I can't really comment on it. It seems weird to hear that, that, oh yeah, a lot of the days watching TV, because it sounds like the homeless shelter in a Videodrome, but... Um, <laughs> and interesting that... Yeah. I mean, it's she weird that Annie would be one of the movies, because I would think, oh, a, a, a movie about, like... Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess... The, the trauma of being an orphan is, is... Yeah, it didn't seem like the kind of thing that they would be into to me either, but, well, well I, mean, I mean, kids like what they like, you know? They do. And, you know, I mean, like I've seen, we've seen a lot of people who experience trauma do seek out um, media that deals with that trauma as a, as a way of coping or dealing with it. Uh, so even though someone who... Someone's looking at it from the outside might think, well, why would you want to re-experience that? Well, wouldn't you rather see something nice? But uh, that's not always the case. So uh, so it does mm -hmm. kind of make sense. And... So Annie is, is the 1982 uh, production of a 1977 musical, apparently. Mm -hmm. And... This like as we've as we've mentioned before, it's been remade a couple of times, and one of them even has a sequel. And the uh, sorry, I was reading something, and no no other version has been as popular as this one. And this one wasn't very popular anyway. So you know, maybe people aren't as into Annie as it looked when we were kids. Well, I feel like. Maybe they keep remaking it because all the network suits have the same delusion that we have, where they're like, ah, this is this. I remember this was a thing. Kids love it, right? All right, make another one. But yeah, I feel like we're the uh, the suits that uh, that Buzz Dixon was working under, who were like, hey, I know what the kids like: the Cats and Jammer kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, it, it kind of scans though because. <laughs> Uh, this was uh, the original Annie comic strip was contemporaneous with the Cats and the Amers, weren't wasn't it? Yeah, nineteen twenty two, twenty four. It had been going on for a while by the time we entered the uh, Roosevelt years. So what uh, before? Uh, I'm going to assume that most of our audience is not familiar with the Annie comic strip, so I suppose we should discuss yeah, it before we talk it was, about the musical. Yeah, the Annie comic strip ran from uh, the ran from the 20s until 2010 when it was finally canceled at that time it was only in left in 20 newspapers apparently Jeez. okay um yeah I'm, in I, I didn't expect that it was 
Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> how its star has fallen, but uh, yes, but, but you know, like a hundred years, that's a good run. It, it's pretty good. Yeah. Annie is Annie herself is not gone. She and Daddy Warbucks are now uh, regular minor characters in Dick Tracy, which is also still going. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> now. Um, yeah, Annie started in the 20s, and it was kind of a rags-to-riches uh, little match-girl type of story initially, where Annie was a orphan who lived under the under the thumb of the evil orphanage master, Mistreat. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yes, and she was repeatedly adopted by Daddy Warbucks, the rich man who... The rich man who loved her, but he had a mean wife who kept giving her away, and she kept falling back into the same orphanage and getting readopted. So, so I feel yeah, I was I was they they changed a little for the musical because I was not aware of any of that stuff, and <laughs> I think I feel like that Daddy Warbucks and Mrs. Warbucks should really communicate better because they're clearly <laughs> not on the same page about having an adopted orphan in their house, and it seems like a big thing to kind of come to agreement on you know um, yeah it's there is weird. no mrs warbucks in this movie so yeah well i guess because they were like maybe it'd be weird if like yeah it turns out yeah it's like this guy like i love this kid oh but my wife keeps kicking her out of the house <laughs> it's like that's <laughs> weird okay <laughs> but that's, um, that definitely shows how different the approach to adoption was at the time <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, in the uh, the Wikipedia, uh, when it's talking about the the f story formulas, it mentions that <laughs> in the 1930s, during the Great Depression, this formula got tweaked a little bit. Uh, Daddy Warbucks lost his fortune due to a corrupt rival and ultimately died from despair at the election of Franklin D. Roosevelt. <laughs> so apparently a pretty staunch Hoover man, that Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is when Roosevelt died, he came back. <laughs> yeah, he was he was you know what? That's because he was he was afraid to show his face when uh, Roosevelt was around. Well, you know, it makes sense, but let, let's let's be let's be honest. Let's be clear about this. Daddy Warbucks, um he knowing what we know about him, he very clearly would be like in, in the head of like the business plot. You know? <laughs> yeah, he was right there next to uh, Prescott Bush. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my favorite orphan Annie is the one where where like uh, orphan An like Annie and Sandy are like doing hijinks, and in the background you can see uh, Daddy Warbucks berating Smedley Butler. <laughs> anyway, so um, uh, let's see. So apparently, there's also some other people in the uh, Annie cast that I had completely forgotten about. So. Um, Delightful, uh, delightful uh, Asian stereotypes. Yes, uh, there is a, you know, they actually use the word on Wikipedia, uh, inscrutable <laughs> person of some kind of Asian descent who either calls himself or they all call him the asp, which is, do asps even exist in Asia? I think of that as a, like a African thing. 
I'm actually, you know, I don't know. I always think of them as just the thing that killed Cleopatra. So yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, usually if I were, if I were, if I were a 1920s newspaper guy creating an Asian character and I had to give him a name, <laughs> I probably wouldn't think the Asp first. You know, I'd probably right. think something like. Uh, I don't know the the jade panda or something. I don't know. It's a stereotypically Asian animal. It's kind of so. cute, but yeah, that's I, I not like... exactly threatening. So um... <laughs> I like the jade panda. It's like cause he looks huggable, but he's cold. Oh yeah. But... Oh wait, no, no. Of course, you just call him like the dragon, something dragon, uh, right? Dragons yeah, are obviously, in Asia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I, mean, I was hoping there was a strip where Annie was like, "So why do they call you the asp?" And he he doesn't even elaborate on it. He just says, "I killed Cleopatra." <laughs> well you know well, it, did. It, it, it wouldn't be that out of the realm of something that could happen in little orphan annie because some of the other characters are um are kind of old have lived for quite a while apparently um yeah was, annie herself specifically says well i don't age much because i was born on february 29th <laughs> <laughs> oh, most most agreeable paradox. <laughs> There's also uh, another um, Asian fellow named Punjab. Yeah, he seems to be he seems to be more Indian coded. Yeah, or Punjabi by the name, but uh... yeah. Um, now, yeah, according to Wikipedia, he's an eight foot tall native of India, and mm -hmm. um, he he does show up in in the movie we're about to discuss. So. Um, yes, the ass barely appears. Yeah, it's it's not very. I only figured out who he was afterwards by reading Wikipedia. But um, then apparently, the also there's a character who does not appear in the movie, but did appear in the comic, named Mister Am, who is a friend of Daddy Warbucks, who wears a Santa Claus beard and has a jovial personality. Claims to have lived for millions of years and has supernatural powers, and some strips hint that he is God. This is interesting to me. I would like to read some Mister Am stories. <laughs> yeah, that seems that's funny because um, my understanding of Little Orphan Annie, uh, having never read the strip but just kind of through cultural osmosis, was yeah, I think it's, she kind of goes on like globe trotting adventures, kind of like Uncle Scrooge, you know, with her rich sugar daddy and um but apparently there's like so i figured she'd like you know thwart jewel thieves and stuff like that but apparently there's like weird supernatural stuff happening as well so all right i don't know yeah the now this whole globe trotting pirate fighting version of little orphan annie the one that uh the one that you get the secret decoder ring from from rich chocolatey ovaltine that is not to never nowhere to be seen here this is just about how she got together with daddy warbucks yeah, this is the origin story. Yes. Um, so an origin I, story for an orphan. Yes. <laughs> so I guess this, that, that's all we need to say about the actual comic strip, right? I think. Or yeah, there... because most the fact is the the musical that we watched is the most prominent expression of the series. Most people, a lot of people are probably really surprised to learn that there's a comic strip at all. Yeah. Actually, I would say if there's one thing that, that you know about the comic strip, and the comic was famous for is that little orphan Annie does not have pupils. Yeah. She has sort of enlarged Barney rubble eyes. Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed that they didn't go with that in this movie. Like they build some pure white scleral shells for her. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so she just has totally blind looking eyes and is like, you know, that would that would give us a reason to sympathize with her because, you know, a, a girl who looks like that is less likely to get adopted, especially when you're just picking them out of a lineup. Yeah. Which is which is how it worked. Here's someone important to me who was adopted, my grandmother. She didn't know who her real parents were, but she was just, they just had all the little girls in this orphanage line up and they picked her because she was the prettiest. <laughs> well, I guess that's well, that's the way it was. Probably still yeah. is, honestly. I mean, I don't know how they do uh, orphanages now. Uh, for one thing, they don't. Orphanages are basically a thing of the past. They well, Where do they keep the they orphans a, then? Uh, well, there there are some orphanages, but it's not it's not really a for profit thing anymore, <laughs> as you might imagine. It was didn't work out so well. Oh, okay. Well, that's that. Ex well, that explains a lot. It does explain a lot about the ver the uh, world that we see Annie inhabiting here. There was a time when there were orphanages that were basically uh, franchised by their city or state. But they had rules like if your orphanage wasn't full, if you didn't have as many kids as you can cram in, you didn't get paid. So this huh. was this was I, good for keeping kids off the street, but it was very bad for getting adopted because nobody wanted to let the kids go because then they wouldn't get paid. Wow, I didn't know that. That that does explain something about this movie, though, because when we were watching it, I was like, yeah, this, this, some, this behavior of this orphan master just seems a little weird, but now <laughs> kind of scans. Um, I guess. Yeah, you're right. That seems like it would create kind of a perverse incentive. Um, yeah. And but, it wasn't until the late seventies that they basically had a sort of Vatican two for orphanages and completely rede redesigned how it works. And now orphan children almost always go to stay in foster homes with, with relatives. Yeah. Uh, Actually, considering this is America, I'm very surprised it wasn't just like, you know, the problem is the problem is big government franchising these orphanages. We need to run these like a business. Oh. We, need, we need to get off that weary gelding of public service and get on the rampant stallion of private enterprise. Welcome back to Annie Gab. <laughs> anyway, no, but, little um, parlor Annie. <laughs> so the... um. Uh, but anyway, so so this movie, it's um, it's it's a musical. Yes, it is very much a musical. Can we talk about how difficult it is to watch musicals? Oh, my God. This movie is two hours long. And... <laughs> it feels like feels like three. Uh, you know, because I, I forgot, like I was watching this with um, with, uh, you know, my old lady and I was kind of like, you know, I feel like, cause you, when you watch like a Disney musical, you know, every song has a purpose in the plot. You know, every song will either tell you something about the characters or establish something in the plot. You know, you know, it's like, you got your villain song, you got your hero song, you got your love song, you got your sidekick rock and roll song. But in this one, it's just like, yeah, we're going to song about, sing about any random thing that happens constantly throughout the entire here's film. Tw here's a 20 minute song about going to the movies. Yeah. Oh my god! And it's just there's no break between songs. It just goes from one song to another. And uh, I mean, they're um, I don't know. I also, mean, we get three, maybe four choruses of tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, they really push tomorrow. If you don't, you know, if you only know one song from Annie, it's probably Hard Knock Life because that one is a lot more popular these days than Tomorrow. Yeah, but I think that's because it was redone by um, some famous uh, singer 
more recently, wasn't it? Or by by uh, I say more maybe? recently, like I believe like when I say recently, I mean like in the nineties because time has stopped moving for me. Um, I know that there was a kind of hip hop uh, remix of it that was used in one of the Austin Powers movies, but that uh, might... that's I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I don't know who did it though. I I don't know who the. No. Singer well, it was Doctor Evil singing, but that doesn't matter. Oh, but on the on the CD, music from and inspired by the motion picture Austin Powers: A National Man of Mystery. <laughs> I'm sure they had some actual like hip hop artist. Oh yeah, yeah. It's kind of like how you know you get the the South Park uh, album and it has all the songs from the movie, and then weird new remixes of the songs by some random artist like Uncle Cracker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man, Dude, yeah. I remember Uncle As, like, Cracker. Yeah, shut your fucking face, Uncle Cracker. <laughs> Man, I remember when they uh, when they were on what is it, Band on the Run? I think I think they were and one of those things. VH1's Bands on the Run. I think they were on that. I think that's how they got their start, if I recall correctly. But really? I could be hmm. completely wrong. So I don't know why I'm even bothering to say these things because I clearly <laughs> do not know what I'm talking about. Well, I know Uncle Cracker exclusively because they were on every single soundtrack the year that I worked at a movie theater. So, oh wow, they were well, you know, Uncle Cracker. They were big. They were big, and they uh, thought they at least uh, some Hollywood thought they were big. Well, they're gonna they their fortunes have possibly fallen. I really don't know. I guess, but <laughs> anyway, uh, a little orphanage. Yeah. Little Orphan Annie. So the movie starts with Tomorrow, and just to let you know that it's a comic strip, yeah, the, the credits are all in the Garfield font. Yeah, this is... Um, so the thing is, this is from 1982. This is from when movies were... Um, well, f well, we're not good. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. They didn't... Um, they really... Watching old movies, it's very weird watching credit sequences, because they really don't put a lot of effort into them. So this is just a static shot of, like, Annie's orphan locket and yeah. you know you get some like kind of uh some cameo photos of various people who are going to be in this movie and that's about it yeah I, it's just, it was weird I, I thought there would be it it yeah i mean like we were saying musicals are hard to watch because so much of it is just time wasted so much of the 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 singing part is just look at me dance. Hey, hey, you're not looking. I'm still dancing. Yeah, it's funny when they do that in musical movies because it's like, I think we've mentioned this before. It's like, yeah, dancing, sure. If I'm at a Broadway show and I'm watching it live, that's that's like impressive. Watching it in a movie though, I'm like, oh come on, you could have done like a hundred takes. I don't care if you do a headstand. Move yeah. it along. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, not everyone is as into this movie as I am, but I feel that movie musicals really should have taken more of a lesson from Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Yeah, Moulin Rouge, um, it's definitely a... Um, uh, it's it's a complicated film. I mean, not complicated. Complicated in that, like, I have mixed feelings for it. But yeah. you're not bored when you're watching it. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's not... The it's it doesn't feel as revolutionary 20 years later. I mean, no. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. But Well, I think the thing about Moulin Rouge is, you know, because a lot of part things you can look at and be like, well, this is kind of goofy and the plot is kind of, you know, kind of trite and there's all you know, whatever. But they were like, look, this is a movie. We are going to show you movie things that we can't do on a stage. So 
be yeah. entertained, you know? Plus, um, also, uh, Kylie Minogue is in it. So that's always a plus. <laughs> and I just, I just, I just always laugh every single time I think of the, the whole, the musical number where they're kind of going on these third wheel dates with uh, Ewan McGregor and and his would-be girlfriend and the the evil producer and how they're singing to each other and the and the the Vincent Price's guy is like my dear look a little frog oh <laughs> <laughs> I I do not remember that <laughs> yeah, Moulin Rouge is worth watching again you'll probably enjoy it more than you did Annie but <laughs> yeah it's been a while but you know yeah um, anyway, I mean, Annie. <laughs> I'll watch it again. I'll watch it again just for Kylie. But anyway, yeah, uh, Annie. <laughs> um, uh, so Annie. So so it starts out like you said. There's uh, she's singing. I think she's singing about her dead parents or something. Yeah, we we have this opening song about how uh, how she is sure that one day her parents are going to come back, and then she's going to be so. You know, and they're going to be so sorry that they let her go. And I'm just kind of like, ah, so they're setting her apart from the other orphans. Her personality trait is that she wants to get adopted. Huh. Well, that's that is kind. Of, that's definitely <laughs> unusual <laughs> among orphans. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and then we have this establishing fight between the two girls, where Annie kind of, you know demonstrates that she's the cock of the walk around here and that the rest of the, the rest of them all uh, kowtow to her, even the older ones. Yeah. Um, now the girl they got to play Annie, what's her name? Uh, Eileen uh, Quinn or something. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's it. It's uh, yeah. I, uh, uh, let, you know, Eileen uh, Quinn. It, yes. Oh, is it? Sorry. So Harley Quinn, um, <laughs> the, girl, the girl that plays Annie. Um, you know, I gotta say they did pick a girl who definitely looks like, Little Orphan Annie, and she's got the right look for it. But then again, she's become so synonymous with Little Orphan Annie that maybe that's because now when I think of Orphan Annie, I think specifically of Eileen Quinn. So I'm like, yeah, of course yeah. that's Orphan Annie. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, she she's kind of the the head orphan, I guess, and <laughs> she's the lead orphan. Yeah, she's um she's she's kind to lesser orphans because she like tries to you know assuage that Lesser one orphans, sad orphan. yeah and she yeah, will... I'm, mm-hmm. other than that i'm not really sure why annie is our focal character out of what looks like about a hundred kids yeah um yeah that's right i mean her thing is like she's she's a she's a what's her personality is she's kind of uh she's kind of pollyanna ish you know she's kind of a dreamer uh but she's also kind of a bruiser like she can like she can hold her own in a fight um and she is uh, she's got red hair, unlike all the other yeah. orphans. I think that's the main <laughs> yeah. thing that sticks out. Um, she has red hair. And I guess at, in the 20s, that might have been a strike against you if you wanted to get adopted. Yeah, they were like, ah, oh, she's got the devil's red hair. <laughs> the devil's curly hair, no less. Yeah. But, oh, you know, they look at it like, I don't know, there might be a little bit, a little Irishman inside this one. We don't want that. Mm-hmm. It was the 20s after all. Or actually the 30s. I believe this movie takes place. That's right. When was it? Actually? Annie is Annie is ten years old, and the move, and we're told she was born in 1922. So it's 1932. Okay, it's the begin. Gotcha. The New Deal has not yet taken place, and that's actually a uh, plot point. Right. So, um, so Annie's thing uh, we've established. Oh, um, um, 
So I guess they do some like musical numbers. I think they have like about eight. And then we get to meet. But then in staggers this swaying drunken woman wearing a boa with her hair up who can barely stand straight. And I was like, I was, all I could think was Mike, you didn't tell me you were in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, when I saw her, I was like, when I, when I saw Miss Hannigan, I was like very relatable, <laughs> extremely relatable. <laughs> goals <laughs> she is um so miss hannigan the uh the orphan master um her is played by carol burnett is uh drunk throughout the entire film and her her sole motivation for villainy is that she is extremely horny she is so <laughs> horny i've never seen a character that horny in film and uh it's great i love her she's she's really <laughs> she's really the glue that holds this movie together <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people regard Miss Hannigan as the best part of this movie, especially yeah. because, I mean, she wasn't apparently as likable in the Broadway production, but they, you know, had to soften her because everyone loves Carol Burnett so much, or did. You know, I don't know if I could name anything else she did besides this. Well, she did Carol and Co., right? Okay, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, that was a t the TV show she was on, and I, oh, I have cool. heard the name. I am very familiar with the name. I, I could not really name much that she's been into though i'm sure we'll have our listeners will probably know plenty of stuff you know what well, i'm you know what i'm gonna save i'm gonna save our listeners the, the trouble of googling let me let me take that burden off you and look up carol burnett right now and see what she has done so um let's see oh she studied uh musical theater at ucla uh appeared regularly on the gary moore show and film roles include Pete and Tilly, The Front Page, The Four Seasons, Noise Off, Horton Hears a Who, um, and also uh, uh, been on Broadway a lot. Okay, so she's been <laughs> in pretty much nothing that I would have ever seen, it seems like. Wow, yeah, yeah. literally nothing that I have ever seen. Uh, she was in uh, Toy Story 4. Oh, she was? Which? Who was? Oh, was she the... She Who was played she in Toy Story Four as her Cheryl as Burnett. Cheryl oh, she was Burnett. She was yeah. a chair. Oh my God, that's kind of. Uh, I'm sorry. That's, that's depressing. Little, yeah, I was like, oh, I get it. Oh, oh, great stunt casting, I guess. But um, I feel like even though I'm not really familiar with her, she is a name that I have definitely heard, and I she's obviously had a very long and storied career. Mostly, it seems um, in uh, theater and Broadway. So. Uh, with some also like television and film, but not not, well, not here's, as much. Here's how old Carol Burnett is. I was reading about her in textbooks when I was a child. Oh they wow! They're talking about yeah. There were there was a textbook article in like this you know third to fifth grade textbook about how about uh, comedy and how comedians live their lives and the difference, you know, the difference between say Bill Cosby, who they said told gentle jokes and Carol Burnett, who they said was more likely to get hit over the head with a, with a salami. And yeah, I can see that. Huh? Okay. That's an, what, what subject were you learning about comedians lives? Uh, it was like an English textbook. See, you know, because I am the hungry reader after all, my mom liked to go to thrift stores and get me old textbooks, which were just, I just treated them as storybooks. Huh? Ooh, nerd. Yes. I uh, kid. Um, yeah, no, she is 87 years old. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. she's She has been around and she was 
not she was not young when this movie was made, but uh, she makes it her own. She looks good though. I mean, she, she I does. How old was she in 1987? I guess that would have she would have been 1982. Sorry, she would have been. Yeah, so she would have been uh, about 40 years younger. She was 47. 47. Wow. Actually, you know, it's funny because this is a role. Uh, like we said, she's basically playing this kind of drunk, burned out slut. And it's the sort of role that like you can see like, oh, yeah, give that to someone who looks kind of like old and leathery and beaten down. But she doesn't really look that way. She actually looks you know, fairly put together. Um, not saying that you would be like necessarily like, oh, like you're an old hag at 47. But I mean, she, I, when I saw this, I was like, oh, she's probably what, 30, you know? Yeah. Um, but they did a good job of, you know, letting her performance speak for itself. They didn't really have to put her in aging makeup. Like when they turned, uh, like when they turned Alex Winter into Granny S. Preston. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that was the same actor. Yeah, that was him himself under a granny makeup. <laughs> Damn, you know, a, tour, a, a, a detour performance. Um, well, good. Let's start. Let's you know what? Let's move on because I'm feeling very bad about like spending this whole time talking about like Kara Kelvernet looking old because it's like, well, that's that's I, not really. She's nice. 87. It's okay for her to look old yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in the movie, I'm like, I'm just like, yeah, let me talk about how yeah. she looked in this, because obviously, you know, when a woman's on screen, all I can do is talk about uh, her appearance. But anyway, um, so she... Well, speaking of people, little of women's appearances, now we got to the beginning of the, uh, of It's a Hard Knock Life. And one thing that I, I had to rewind and be like, did I see what I just think, think I just saw? You're going down the stairway... The camera is going down the stairwell and you see a little girl leaning on the banister, yawning, and she clearly has Coke nose. She's got white powder all over her lip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was that? that? I thought that it was supposed to be like, because they were like scrubbing stuff. I thought she was supposed to have like, you know, like soap, but they never address it. No. So I, maybe there was something cut, but it, it does seem a little strange because you're like, hmm. I think this movie has a lot of cuts, which is surprising because it's so long. Yeah. Well, you know, they the original director's version is is eight hours long. So, oh, God, release the Snyder cut of Annie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they do a hard knock life. Um and... Which is a pretty cool song, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you're complaining about how hungry you are, how tired you are, and you're doing all these kickflips all over the place like you're Twyla Tharp. I think the thing about, um, well, the thing about Annie is uh, the music, it's uh, diegetic, isn't it? Because... No, it's not. Yeah, you... I mean, do you see anyone playing an instrument? Well, the thing is, in the beginning, when Annie is is singing, like... Miss Hannigan hears her and is like, someone's singing in here. So it's like, oh, does that mean that like in the world of Annie, all the mu- all the singing is real? Like people actually are breaking into song and doing backflips or? You know, you're right, because later on we have a scene where some people are commanded to sing and they're just like, oh, I couldn't. Oh, well, if you insist. And it's and it's not like, you know, it doesn't it isn't framed any differently from other songs in the movie. So this is definitely. So people are canonically singing, I guess. I don't know. This is a weird hang up for me, like with you and when mice wear clothes. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, so I, I guess that's why you're they're not... wearing diegetic clothes. 
Yeah. So um, I don't know. Well, what's your preference in musicals? Uh, I like. I especially. I do prefer diegetic, but I especially prefer when it's diegetic right down to the music itself. I like when people are singing and there's instruments playing. Gotcha. And you don't get any of that in this one. So. No, that's true. It's it's a little confu- It's it's a little kind of of both. I think with happening in this movie. So it's yeah. Like it makes actual- it a little puzzling when uh, you know you've got this song going on and Annie is pounding away on an organ, not actually playing the song. <laughs> yeah, that gets a little all right. Well. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, so what happens? Uh, oh, Annie tries to escape, doesn't she? Yeah, Annie tries to escape in the laundry, and that's when we meet probably my favorite character in this movie, Mister Bundles. Oh, that's right, of uh, the uh, the French style, Chinese style laundry. Yeah, that's a little weird, but Mister Bundles himself is you know this adorable nebbish that uh, she that Miss Hannigan is absolutely wet for, and yeah. Um... This was fascinating because, like, uh, it it seems that because Mister Bundles is kind of in on the uh, the 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 scam to sneak Annie out in the laundry, or, yeah. or at least he's sympathetic to it. And it, I'm I'm not clear on how uh, how eager he is to um, be with Miss Hannigan because he seems not so eager. But yeah, uh, I don't. I, but I then didn't, I would like to get more of a personality with Mr. Bundles, but he only appears in this one scene. Yeah, that's no, funny because the way the behavior in this, it really does seem to me like I feel like they do have a thing going. But it's just in this particular instance, he's like, look, I'm in a hurry. I really can't stay and like plow you. We need I need to get this laundry out right now. And, <laughs> you know, and then but then when the orphans bring out the laundry and they're like, it's kind of heavy. And his hands like, well, what's in there? And Mr. Bundles is like, oh, Miss Hannigan, oh, and he let me sweep you off your feet, you know, to distract her. So, and then he takes the laundry away. And when they arrive at their destination, he basically takes Annie out and he's like, yeah, good luck. Good luck on running away from the orphanage. Yeah. What's her end game um, here? How is she going to, is she going to go to her last known address? Does she know it or? I'm not really sure. I, I, I assumed like maybe she just wants like a day out and kind of assumed she'd eventually head back to the orphanage you know she's mm. like getting a day pass or something um uh, maybe this is something they do regularly i'm and you know maybe that's why we're following her because this is what sets into motion everything that uh, happens to her yeah I mean, otherwise that, she is just oh, one of the orphans yeah the fact that mr bundles is so blasé about this whole thing indicates that this has happened before I feel. Yeah. Um, and immediately uh, when it starts happening, that, that cop starts chasing Annie. So I feel like he also uh, recognizes her because otherwise he's just like, ah, oh, there's a child. I will arrest them. It's like, the street <laughs> yeah. is full of children. Have you not noticed? <laughs> yeah. That, I was like, did, it was like, it, it, since they don't, they don't establish that until he returns her to the orphanage. It kind of was like, it's like, you smell that? I smell orphan. Yeah. But yeah, he brings her back and then it's like, oh, OK, he, he clearly knows Miss Hannigan and he's also kind of getting his dick wet, too, there. So um, <laughs> so that Miss Hannigan, she just she you know what? Uh, God bless her. She she is. <laughs> she knows what she wants and she she's going to get it. Um, but uh, oh, sorry. But we also forgot to mention this is the point where Annie meets Sandy, the dog. Yes. Who is initially being you know, taunted by some children and has like, 
cans tied to his tail. She sings this song about a dog that I totally uh, I I blanked on already. Yeah, she's like, you stupid dog. You're so dumb. Why don't you go away and leave me alone? And it's like, you know, she's doing the usual thing where you try and, yeah. like, you know, reverse psychology. We're like, don't go away, dog. I don't want you, you know, here, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, she was got the dog almost convinced to go away. And then a dog catcher just casually comes up and she's like, no, no, that's my dog. No. Yeah, and then the dog catches like, well, call to him, and she calls him, and he goes to her, and then she's got yes. a dog now. With the name that she just made up for him, Sandy. Yeah. So, now, so there's a little bit of that kind of, Maggie, come to the one you love best. Yeah. Though Sandy doesn't really do anything in this movie. I mean... Uh, Sandy does one big thing, which is bark at the Bolshevik. Oh my god, that's gotta be my, my favorite scene in the whole movie, of the Bolshevik. <laughs> I mean... I guess we'll get to that. Um, yeah. Well, in the meantime, we're starting a band called Bark at the Bolshevik, and we need a drummer. <laughs> we're uh, uh, we're gonna be like it, it's it's a um, what do you call it? Like a like a, an old timey string band. It sounds like that's yeah. It's an old timey string uh, ska fusion band. So yeah. we need uh, a drummer and like five uh, saxophonists. <laughs> Robert Crumb's Bark at the Bolshevik. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so so I guess the, she gets returned to the orphanage by the cop, and then I guess the the next major thing is that woman appears, right? The rich. The, yes, the, we we get the agent who is who works for the works for the orphan. Uh, I guess uh, industry. I'm not the, sure how <laughs> the orphan industrial <laughs> complex. <laughs> yeah, and she she informs Miss Hannigan that the billionaire Oliver Warbucks wants an orphan to spend the weekend with him. And I don't know about you, but uh, my first thought was Epstein. Shit. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, Warbucks is a Republican, so <laughs> you know. Daddy Warbucks. Did... <laughs> well, you know how you know he how he spent uh, FDR's term dead. Daddy Warbucks didn't kill himself. No, <laughs> just he took that auto gyre of his down to Little St. James. <laughs> Prussia. Uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess so this woman, she does she work for Daddy Warbucks specifically or she's part of the urchin board or orphan board? Uh, sorry. See, she seems to be both. I guess uh, Daddy Warbucks has some major you know, investment in the uh, orphan industry because she's also, she also seems to be his, uh, she also, or maybe they're two different people. I'm not sure, but I think they're, no, I think it's the same person because she also seems to be his personal assistant. Yeah. And I thought it was the same person. Yeah. A anyway, the best, she, uh, Miss Hannigan still wants to punish uh, Annie. So when Annie inevitably gets picked as the orphan to spend the weekend with, uh, with Daddy Warbucks or uh, Mr. Warbucks, he's not Daddy just yet. Yeah. And and her initial response was, "No, you can't. Why not? She's a drunk." <laughs> Which I think is the funniest line of the movie. <laughs> it's a pretty good line. <laughs> I mean, that's why everyone loves Carol Burnett in this. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, to uh, to be fair, I mean, if I was Miss Hannigan, it's like, yeah, she's a little little fucking troublemaker. She's giving me <laughs> shit. I don't want her to get to go and spend a week with with like a rich guy. <laughs> so also, I had to wonder, so how old are the oldest orphans here? Some of them look like teenagers. 
Um, well, I guess in, uh, you, when do you age out of the orphan system? Around 18? 18, yeah. So, so some in... of them might be. So, yeah. which makes me wonder, has there been any talk of revolution? Couldn't you just cram this fascist marm into the furnace and say, yes, I'm Miss Hannigan? <laughs> Damn. It'd be, yeah. Do you pull a little, uh, you know, um, Do Dr. Uh, Dr. Tar and uh, Professor Feather on this thing, you know? Um, <laughs> the, the orphans have taken over the asylum. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I've seen that plot done with, like, prisons and with, uh, you know, sanitariums, but I've never seen an orphanage plot do it. No. Be, uh, someone's missing out. Someone should write that. You know who, you know who else was an orphan? Who? Superman. Oh, you know, uh, that, I, what if he'd been adopted by Danny Warbucks? <laughs> I feel like this is uh, I feel like this would actually be a very fascinating AU. <laughs> who is the well, you know, who would be the equivalent of is Does Danny Warbucks exist in the, uh, the DC universe or would his uh, equivalent I, be like Bruce Wayne or something? Yeah, you're right. It would be Thomas Wayne. So it would be so it would be like if. It would just be speeding bullets all over again. The comic where instead of coming down on the Clark on the Kent family farm, uh, the uh, pod containing baby Superman came down in front of the Wayne family's limo and they adopted him and named him Bruce. God, how has nobody, how have they never done this one? <laughs> they did. It's great. I Wait, have a comic. Oh, wait, that's for real? It's a comic. It's not a movie, but yeah, oh, it's real. Oh, I'm... I thought you just came up with this right now. I was going to say, like, this is brilliant. You should sell this. <laughs> Unfortunately, somebody already did. And it's, it's good. I recommend it. Hmm. It it's, doesn't work out as well the way they find a way for Lex Luthor to have also become the Joker. But <laughs> Oh, my God. Actually, wait. Lex Luthor is just Daddy Warbucks, isn't he? He is. Well, he's this is like if Superman was adopted by Lex Luthor. Wait, but maybe because if if Superman just never knocked over that thing on his head to make him bald, then he doesn't hate yeah. Superman. He also should be bald oh, yeah. at that point, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Oh yeah, and they're the same age. They were teenagers together. I always forget. Oh yeah. Oh man, this this there's too much. There's too much content. Comics. Yeah, uh, this is why we do comic strips. Yeah. Um. But uh, so, okay, so basically, uh, what's her name? This this woman shows up and is like, look, we want an, or an orphan. And Annie just happens to be there in the background, kind of like coaching the woman on what to say. Yeah, so she manages, she's, you know, telling her like, no, older, older. Okay, yeah, 10. Yeah. <laughs> Red <and> hair. <laughs> no, no pupils. <sighs> it really kind of random that annie gets picked as the orphan to do this thing i guess but um yeah she just happens to be in the right place at the right time yeah but she's the one with the dog and the dog ends up being an important uh plot point so yeah i mean sort of yeah you know i mean orphan An she's not really a very proactive character she's kind of just there most of the time uh, kind of like little nemo yeah um i'll, I'll say this she she has slightly more bearing on the plot because she does like, you know, beat up some uh, street bullies at one point and, yeah. um, you know, uh, in the grand finale she does a little, but otherwise, yeah, she's, she's pretty much just there. But um, anyway, um, so 
they they so basically the woman she adopts she's Annie she's gonna bring him to Danny Warbucks it's yeah. some sort of p- 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 uh, publicity stunt right that's the yeah the they're reason. not it's not really an adoption they're just they just want her to stay there for a week because someone's like doing a uh, photo essay on uh, Mr Warbucks and uh, wants to show him at home you know. And there, and he was like, "Okay, bring me an orphan. I want, I want someone to, I want them to think that I have a, have children, that I'm a family man." This so it's very, all kind of, yeah, weird. It's very weird. It's kind of, um, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I guess he just hopes there'll never be a follow up article to be like, "Hey, whatever happened to your daughter? <laughs> oh yeah, we sent her back to the orphanage." It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of weird. Um, but this just, it feels a lot like you know, when Pete Buttigieg is like, "Yeah, I'm gonna run for president. Better adopt a dog." <laughs> or actually sorry that wasn't Buttigieg that was uh I think that was Warren who was it who adopted the dog right who I don't big, remember who adopted the dog big, big structural Bailey I think that's sure that's, as fuck wasn't Trump yeah <laughs> god oh. can you imagine a dog under under his care Jesus Whoa. Christ oh I don't think that would work out very well how does yeah it's like um I mean I love my cats and I can barely remember to feed them yeah I feel like um, I can't. I mean, well, can you, well, it's odd that Trump has children, you know, and they yeah. weren't raised like, you know, like uh, Jeannie, the feral girl. <laughs> well, I imagine there was, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, the children of the future raised untouched by human hand. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you have some Silicon Valley uh, uh, thought leaders to, um, <laughs> you know, to spin it. <laughs> We're just gonna. That's that's what they'll do. That they, they'll literally Silicon Valley is gonna recreate the forbidden experiment. <laughs> I mean, someone literally did like float the whole idea of this of this uh, tank that you keep in your home to gestate a baby in, so you can stay keep working. Really? Re- so yeah, I mean, it wasn't an actual working prototype. They were just kind of floating the idea, like, hey, what does everyone think about this? Huh? I feel like Ethan, you were like, no, that's bad. <laughs> Ethan's like, what if like, instead of being pregnant, we just had a, you kept a tank in your living room. It's like, that sounds yeah, terrible. I just, yeah. I was just like, it was like, you know, trans women are like, Hey, we want to be pregnant too. I was like, fine. Nobody gets to be pregnant. <laughs> it's like, it's like, can we bring it to, no, we got perfectly good babies at home. We can't go to McDonald's. We can't go to Mc, McPregos. <laughs> you know, uh, you'd have to go all the way to Brazil to get a McPrego, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the most tortured analogy ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, so uh, Annie is about to be adopted by by uh, Daddy or Warbucks, played by Albert. Kind of Finney. fake adopted, yeah. Fake adopted I, for a week, yeah. Who's, who is Albert Finney? Do you know him from anything besides this? Um, no, I do not. And uh, let's look him up. Let's look. I up. know him from one other thing, and it's a very minor role, but he still has the exact same voice, and it works very well in this context. He's the m- gross flounder-like dad in The Corpse Bride. Oh, wait. So you mean the, the little short fat guy? Yes, him. That's, oh, that's Albert Finney. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I recognize him now. Um, so he, had, looks, he plays a type. Huh? So uh, according to Wikipedia, he's he, like uh, Carol Burnett has a long and storied career, been in lots of stuff, none of which I have seen. 
Um, he's been in uh, Tom Jones, Two for the Road, Scrooge, Annie, The Dresser, Miller's Crossing, A Man of No Importance, Aaron Brockovich, Big Fish, The Bourne Ultimatum, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, The Bourne Legacy, and Skyfall. Oh, Big Fish. He was the he was the uh, adult version of the or elderly version of the uh, main character whose story it was being told. Okay, so I've seen Big Fish. Okay, so you've seen him in, in something else as well. Uh, yeah, um, I guess I guess he uh, before his death he became a uh, a member of the Tim Burton stable. Yeah, which, seems like it. Yeah, with Tim Burton, that's very literal. He just keeps this uh, cabin full of actors and uh, kicks them awake every couple of years to make a movie. <laughs> it looks like he's uh, he just recently uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, 20, 2019. So yeah. Uh, so we would like to dedicate this podcast to the memory of Albert Finney. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Albert Finney, he's, he's uh, Daddy Warbucks. Um, and yeah. he is... Um, I like him. He's kind of, you know, he's very rough, but mm-hmm. uh, I think he... I think he's kind of faking being a Republican and that's the only good kind. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, I have, uh, I mean, issues with the daddy Warbucks character, but I feel like the performance was very good. Uh, yeah. He's, he's like you said, he's, you can tell he's like one of those guys. He's like kind of like outwardly an asshole, but the heart of gold type thing, you know, he's going to get one, one over. So, yes. Um, so uh, <clears throat> very good performance by Albert Finney in this. Um, that is one mm-hmm. thing about this movie is even though the movie itself, I feel is kind of overlong and rambling and bloated and not that interesting. The performances are all pretty good. I mean, the actors yeah. really go to give their best. Yeah. The individual actors, I think none, none of them are necessary are, are bad. I would, I would almost say that Eileen Quinn is the weakest link herself. And even she's not bad. Yeah. I mean, she's, she doesn't have much to work with because, you know, she's just, she's Annie. Um, yeah. She's, you know, you, you could probably plug any redheaded kid in there. I mean, that's not to slight her. She's, you know, a kid. They're child actors. How, how good are they ever? But, um, yeah, but you're right. She's kind of, uh, she's, she's not like, you, you don't like hate her. Like you hate some child actors. Oh boy. You just kind of like, yeah, she's fine. She, she's fine um which is good i mean if if this if annie came out today uh there would probably be no like you know uh twitter harassment campaign against her so that's good uh, one came in 2014 and i don't believe there was a twitter campaign of harassment against her about about eileen quinn oh not not with eileen quinn no the the girl who uh actually the i think the Actually, I might not be I might be wrong because, uh, you know, anytime they recast a previously white star with a black actress, there's uh, hell to pay. Oh, that's right. They did have uh, um, uh, a black star uh, play Annie in the 2014 one, right? Yes, it was. Uh, oh, boy. I, I apologize for my mangling of the pronunciation of the name. Quivagene. Quivagene Wallace who hmm. uh pl- yes who played Annie in uh, in the 2014 version and uh, I don't see anything about her being uh being uh, lambasted for it so I guess that means that she must have either done a good job or nobody cared that's good um well either way I'm glad I, I certainly hope she didn't get um attacked I, I have a yeah. feeling it's because I have a feeling maybe that has less to do with like any particular um you know uh anger uh about 
Well, I feel like that might may have something to do with the fact that like a certain demographic, which is known for uh, harassment campaigns against especially women and POC actors, um, probably did not really watch the original Annie and did not feel like their childhoods are being ruined. And of course, by that, I'm talking about, you know, uh, white gamer dudes in their uh, 40s. Yep. Well, I mean, these guys will make themselves fans of something if it means that they can uh, harass a woman, a POC woman. So yeah. Oh my god! Can you imagine if they were just starting to be like, "I love Annie. Annie's the, I'm the biggest Annie fan. We're called <laughs> we're called uh, uh, Onies. That's what we call ourselves." <laughs> and then, uh, if you're a female fan of Annie, you're an Annie sister, and. Um, <laughs> Oh God! Um, but um, anyway, uh, anyway, we're gonna, we're gonna oh. get canceled. I just realized, yo, we're almost coming up at about an hour, and we haven't really. Um, we, we've Annie's barely gotten adopted. Should we uh, uh, do a second, second episode? Yeah, let's do a second one. But let's uh, let's keep going for another ten minutes or so, so people don't feel that uh, we've been we've cheated them. That we've, All right. Uh, that that's a hard knock podcast. So. <laughs> So Albert Finney. So anyway, he's the um, he's Daddy Daddy Warbucks, and he stately is... Warbucks Manor. Yes. Oh, before he shows up, though, we have this big musical sequence where all the staff is saying how they're gonna, you know, they're totally gonna take care of Annie. Yeah, they're all super excited to meet her. Even the kind of Grinchy-looking Scroogey guys who come out and be like, "Good Lord, is that a human female?" Yeah, I was actually expecting that they would probably she'd have to like win over some of these guys, you know. Like, no, they, they all immediately love her. Yeah. You know, so, we're the only one she has to win over is uh, Mr. Warbucks. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I guess. My, and it's, it's just so weird that there's just so much dancing that there's these orphans constantly dance. And here's all these people who work like slaves for this rich old guy. And they're constantly dancing. It's like, wow, being poor is fun. <laughs> Man, that sounds, sounds great. <laughs> it's, it's, it turns out it's not that way in real life. Though. <laughs> Mommy, when I grow up, can I be poor? Oh, you will, honey. You will. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, and my favorite part is that there's this gardener. She looks out the out the window of a balcony, and this gardener is like, "Hey, Annie!" And he cuts some flowers for her, and then the, does like a triple salchow or something, where he's you know his legs just helicopter around him for about five minutes, and then he finally climbs up the window box to give them to her. And <laughs> I was like, while Annie is just kind of watching him, like, "Okay, are you gonna, you gonna give me the flowers? Are you gonna give me the flowers? Okay, you're done dancing. Good." Yeah. And I was like, really hoping that after he gave them to her, the the whole uh what do you, what do you call that? The trellis? Yeah. The whole trellis would fall and he'd scream as he went down and then <laughs> and then we'd see him later doing that same dance while in a full body cast. That would be actually that would be really funny. Well, it is I do like that scene though cuz he's like, "Hey, I didn't look what I got for you." And just like, "Oh, great. Yellow jessamine. Thanks." <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Um, but they love doing that in this movie this whole movie it's just yeah i mean as mystery science theater put it look 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 at my crotch look 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 at my crotch look at my crotch look at my crotch 
there's a lot of you know i mean everybody's just so excited and animated and everyone's all over the place um uh i do like how when they're telling the, the various uh butlers and servants and maids are explaining each of them explaining their function in the house and it's like wait so every single person literally has one thing that they do it's like what <laughs> you know sally will bring you your soup and Mary will take your soup away when you're done. It's like, don't couldn't one person perform both functions? Yes. And Alice will take your soup away while you're still eating it. We try to discourage her, but yeah, I feel, maybe you know what? Maybe we got Daddy Warbucks all wrong. Maybe he's like, look, this it's a depression where this is my my own personal make work program to keep all these people employed. Yeah, I mean that that is if there is. Anything you can uh, say about him is that he is, in fact, a job creator. That's true. I actually, which does bring up the question: What does what is Daddy Warbucks? What's his fortune in? What has he made his money in besides orphans? Well, what's his? Well, what's his last name? Oh, oh no! <laughs> yes, he's a war profiteer. Well, you know what? This, since this is uh, what 1932, he's about to make. The real money soon. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, Schindler and I like two peas in a pod. <laughs> Both sold shells to the Nazis, but mine worked, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's uh, selling to both sides. but Well, you know, he is a Republican. Yeah. And he is... I say that like... Yeah, he and FDR are too. not... <laughs> what? I was like, I say it like Democrats would do that, but yeah. Whatever. Oh, no, absolutely no. I mean, the... You know, dem the only way a Democrat wouldn't do it would be if there was an another Repu a Republican they wanted to look better than. Yeah. Yes. Truth. Anyway, so um, uh, every there's this big dance number. Everyone is doing their thing. Um, and then, I guess what? what? That's when Mr. Warbucks comes home, and everyone is absolutely terrified of him because he's this, you know, barking monster who grabs somebody's camera away and smashes it on the floor. And then they were like, "No, he's the one doing the photo essay about you." He's like, "Oh, of course, get him another camera." <laughs> well, you know, he's got money; he can just buy another camera. They do have that, yeah, that it, gag with the Mona Lisa, which is amusing. Yeah, he bought the Mona Lisa and is like, uh, "Put it in the bathroom." I feel like this this bit, I mean, is pretty it's pretty good, but I feel like it was kind of it, it's the belabored. It's, yeah, it's it's from a time period where uh, movies are a little more leisurely. So I yeah. feel like because he comes in, he's like, where's the painting? Where's the painting? And then they show him the painting. And it's like, I feel like this joke would have worked better if he was in and they had a whole bunch of stuff happening and they just had the painting there. And they're like, oh, here's the painting one. And he's like, yeah, I don't like it. You know, like kind of like dismissively, not like he actually was coming in looking for the painting because I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it, would a, be, it would be better as part of a series of rapid fire gags. Yes. Yes, that's it. I mean, it's a minor detail, but it's just I feel like, well, it was a style of films back then where they're like, look, we, we can't do things too fast or the audience will get confused. We need to just set up the punchline, you know, tell it like several minutes in advance and then repeat it until the thing happens. And then everyone will be like, ah, I saw that. Yeah. I mean, what are, I mean, what do you think people are going to be able to actually rewind the film? <laughs> Next, you'll say they'll be watching these movies at home. Oh, that's a, that's a good point. I forgot. I forgot that that was, this is 1982. Uh, home yeah. video was, um, 
It Still was very still, new. Not everybody yeah. had uh, not everybody had a VCR, and some people had uh, you know bet wrong on beta. So yeah, only the ten richest kings of Europe had uh, the VCR. My family <laughs> actually was early, they were early adopters, but we we bet wrong. We had beta. Oh, what so, what is the difference? Did it look better or worse? Or um, supposedly, and I'm no no expert, but supposedly beta is the superior format. Apparently, you can actually get better quality film on it. Um, mm. But I think it was some sort of behind the scenes shenanigans, like you know, politicking with uh, the manu like Sony or manufacturer, whatever. But you know, they they all decided, ah. they the man decided we all just use VHS. Is my yes. understanding. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, and then just a. Just a few years later, we ran into the same thing where the Sega Master System technically had better hardware and could probably give you give you uh, a better quality of games. But Nintendo had signed this uh, thing with everyone who wanted to make games for them, saying that they wouldn't make games for any other console. So Sega was left with just their own games for the most part. Man. You know what? You know, someone someone think about think about the world as it might have been if instead of having VHS, we had beta. The mind boggles. I, 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 <laughs> I, just I'm just a, imagining everyone, you know, g holding hands and dancing under a rainbow. Yeah, like the Lionel Hutz fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine a world where instead of VHS, we use tapes that were slightly smaller. Oh, if only. What? If only. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. Um, but, uh, so yeah, um. Why oh, also Punjab's entrance. Oh shit! Okay, should we? Well, you know what? Should we like? Want to cut it here? Let's cut here. Let's. This is a little teaser. We're gonna talk about Punjab next episode. So tune in, folks. You won't want to miss this. Tune in for Punjab and uh, the apparent, the sudden reappearance of Annie's parents. <gasps> and yes. and Tim Curry being really good in anything. Oh, and yeah. and also a dead mouse. 